This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. This is Bentley Manning, and uh, I am coming to you from Highlands, North Carolina, the Church of the Incarnation, on this chilly spring day. And this is Kellen Day. I'm also in Highlands, trying to be warm. All right, Kellen, the last couple of weeks, uh, at least during the first half of our podcast, we've kind of ventured away from the theological and talked a bit more about um, things like eating. Um, (laughs) Do you even remember what we talked about, Bentley? I have no clue, and I'm confident that those listening can't remember either. But uh, just this past uh, week, we received an email, Kelly and I both, uh, from a vestry member, and it's a New York Times opinion piece entitled, Christianity Gets Weird. Modern life is ugly, brutal, and barren. Maybe you should try a Latin mass. Of course, it's an interesting title, and I thought it would be fun Uh, to talk a little bit, the two of us, about the article and kind of what we think about it. Let's do it. All right, Kellen, so there are a handful of characteristics that define this weird Christianity. Uh, Let's see if we can kind of review some of those. Okay, the first one is that weird Christians are committed to a particular type of liturgical expression, more ritualistic, um, harking back to medieval antecedents, and um, deeply care about beauty in their ritual. And I think that ritual, Kellen, is an expression, at least this is what the article suggests, of uh, a commitment to the faith in a real passionate way that might kind of be rejecting the forms of Christianity that try to explain away mystery, that try to explain away the transcendent. Um, So these are folks that are trying their best, I think, to take the faith seriously. So another characteristic of weird Christians is that they are um, deeply skeptical of current political and economic structures, especially in the United States. Um, So they are, you know, displeased with the bipartisanship and um, deeply critical of unfettered capitalism. Yeah. And so and so all of this, I think, you know, this taking the faith seriously, um, being kind of disillusioned by the kind of vanilla wafer version of Christianity within many forms of Protestantism. And to kind of mention just what Kellen said, I mean, where where do you find answers in the midst of this? And so they're looking to the treasures of the tradition. They're looking back to medieval theology um, and and finding hope and solace and vision there. A 
final characteristic of these weird Christians mentioned in the article is that they are typically, though not always, more socially progressive. And they're not socially progressive just to be socially progressive because they're young and whatnot, but um, they're socially progressive out of a place um, rooted in God's love and hospitality. It's a theological commitment, um, not really a political one. And so another way that I've heard to describe this is inclusive orthodoxy. All right. Anyway, so this is kind of what's outlined in the article. The article does not mention this, but I think it's worth saying because we've got roughly 20 minutes to be talking with you on this podcast, is that while this particular form of Christianity, this weird Christianity, might be a new kind of movement, might be gaining some more traction, you can trace this uh, this impulse, this, this form of Christianity back uh, at least to 1833, uh, to the Oxford movement, when a group of Oxford dons uh, decided that... What's a don? Theologians, academics were, um, were concerned that the government at the time was they were making decisions for people's lives and for the church that the church should be making. And so what they did was they hearkened back to medieval forms of worship and theology. And the reason they did this is because that was a moment within uh, history where the church uh, had more authority, more of a central place um, of power uh, within the society. So in some ways... Uh, I I find uh, a clear connection between what's going on with this weird Christianity, right? Being disillusioned with the culture, with the with the state, and looking to the church to find and offer answers. So the question I'm interested in, Bentley, is. Are you a weird Christian? <laughs> that's a great. That's a great question. That's a fair question, uh, Kellen. Look, I I didn't know the term weird Christian until this article, but uh, part of the reason I wanted to place this movement within some broader historical context is to say that while this is a very um, particular niche, maybe group of people, it fits within another umbrella, which is you know, the uh, one that started with the Oxford Movement in 1833. And so my own sympathies, my own commitments uh, are are there, right? I, I find myself to um, lean uh, more in that direction than not. And uh, Hold up, hold up, hold up. Are you a weird Christian or not, Bentley? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I do hope that my Christianity would make me weird. And what I mean by that, I think, is that um, my commitments uh, to Jesus, to the church, um, to the faith would mean that some of my perspectives, some of my ways of living would be uh, strange. Whether or not I'm uh, there yet, I don't know, but it's something I think worth aspiring towards. I mean, Paul calls the gospel foolish, right? Right. Right. And it's a provocative way of saying we're trying to be formed and shaped by the church, not by the culture. And I would hope as a priest in this church that that's not just a small group of people um, within this 
particular expression of the faith, but that we would all hope to be shaped uh, in such a way that our lives uh, would be recognizably Christian and not uh, shaped by uh, the culture. Yeah, so that's my sense. I mean, obviously, the expression of the faith, that it would be passionate and interesting um, and beautiful is something that speaks to my heart. But, um, Kellen, what about you? Are you a weird Christian? <laughs> um, I think with the parameters set forth in that article, I don't quite fit all of them. Um, I don't think you do either, fully, but... I'm certainly sympathetic to a number of the characteristics outlined in that article. I think I don't, I don't really want to go to a Latin mass. That's not super interesting to me. And I also struggle a little bit with um, the uh, kind of like church or culture type of argument. I think that there's a lot of room for Christians to engage culture and transform culture and I think that's like a pretty good reformed perspective and not necessarily a Catholic perspective, but maybe. So we hope y'all will uh, take a look if you can at the article. Um, it's a wonderful read. Uh, it's a lot of, I think it's a fun read. Um, take a look and, and let us know if you are a weird Christian or if you're not. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of weird Christians, we have a gospel text where Jesus is talking to some. Great. So let's, uh, let's dig into our gospel reading for this coming Sunday. So this week's gospel passage is a continuation of last week's um, discourse to the disciples. Um, and so Bentley's going to tell us a little bit about what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he continues this discourse. All right, so it's from the 14th chapter of John, and it's a really, really short gospel reading that probably could be read faster than summarized. But basically, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love, you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then goes on to say that, you know, he won't be with them forever uh, in the flesh in front of them, but will send them an advocate. And there's a really wonderful uh line that comes kind of midway through our reading where Jesus says to them, I will not leave you orphaned. And so, and he says, you know, if you keep my commandment and if you love me, uh, know that I will continue uh, to love you. I think that's pretty much what the gospel reading says this week. Thanks, Bentley. All right, Kellen, you're preaching this week, and I know that you kind of love to zoom in and find some of the jewels and treasures within the gospel reading. So where are the jewels and treasures this week? Well, I think that the jewel for me right now, um, I don't know if I'll preach on this, but is that line, um, I will not leave you orphaned. And I think that it actually, the sort of treasure relates to the wider context of this passage, though, 
and last week's gospel text. Like there's sort of this very, maybe not subtle, but maybe not obvious metaphor of um, kind of familial relationships, right? Like Jesus says, in my father's house, there'll be plenty of rooms for room for you. And he goes on to say, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That seems like a very fatherly thing to say. Maybe like he's speaking to his children. And then he promises them the arrival of the spirit, um, thus indicating that they will not be orphans. They will not be left um, to fend for themselves. And so the whole um, discourse is this remarkable reflection on God's sort of fatherly and motherly love for us. What's standing out to you in this passage, Bentley? Well, I, you know, I, for the sake of the podcast, it might be interesting if I picked up on another piece of the gospel, but I think I share uh, your sympathies with this, with this piece about being um, adopted. It doesn't say that. It says, I won't leave you orphaned. Uh, but as I think about the life uh, that we're offered, um, you know, that, that is a life that begins in baptism where we are adopted by God himself, God herself. And back to this idea of a loving God, I mean, just to stop and think for a moment about what it would mean to trust and believe that God has chosen us as his children uh, and adopted us, uh, that we might become members of God's own family, is a really powerful, overwhelming thought, and one that we could probably spend a lifetime uh, trying to discover what exactly that means. Um, I think another, you know, large part of this passage is Jesus saying, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, But I'm wondering what Jesus might mean by his commandment or commandments. Do you have any thoughts about that, Bentley? I can't help but think about Jesus' commandment to the disciples who were with him in the upper room, uh, the commandment to love others as he has loved them. Um, I think it's implied and understood that part of loving God is about loving Christ and loving the things that God loves. But then, of course, I think one of the questions that we might want to think about is how do how do we uh, learn to love the things that God loves? A lifelong question. <laughs> sure, but but part of that I think learning comes from spending time with God. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn to love something. You learn to love what others love by spending time with them. Um. And I think we need to be careful before assuming that we kind of intuitively know Mm -hmm. exactly how to love in the ways that God loves. Uh, But one of the ways that we can learn to love the way that God loves is by spending time with God. Exactly right, Bentley. And so lovely. I think when we, our modern ears hear the word commandment, it can sound really heavy and burdensome. And that's kind of like the exact opposite thing that Jesus is talking about here, right? That this commandment to love God and to love one another is um, 
the portal to life itself. I knew love because I knew you And I believe that everything you told me would come out true Love is patient, love is kind Love delights in the truth and is all you need to find Typically we end our gospel reflection with a prayer but today uh, we thought we would do well uh, to offer a piece of poetry to you. So Kellen is going to read uh, a poem, uh, and we hope that you can uh, pray through this. This poem is called The Eyes of Jesus by the Catholic Irish poet and priest John O'Donohue. I imagine the eyes of Jesus were harvest brown, the light of their gazing suffused with the seasons, the shadow of winter, the mind of spring, the blues of summer, and amber of harvest, a gaze that is perfect sister to the kindness that dwells in his beautiful hands. The eyes of Jesus gaze on us, stirring in the heart's clay, the confidence of seasons that never lose their way to harvest. This gaze knows the signature of our heartbeat, the first glimmer from the dawn that dreamed our minds, the crevices where thoughts grow long before the longing in the bone sends them towards the mind's eye. The artistry of the emptiness that knows to slow the hunger of outside things until they weave into the twilight side of the heart. A gaze full of all that is still future, looking out for us to glimpse the jeweled light in winter stone, quickening the eyes that look at us to see through to where words are blind to say what we would love. Forever falling softly on our faces, his gaze plies the soul with light, laying down a luminous layer. Beneath our brief and brittle days, until the appointed dawn comes, assured and harvest deft to unravel the last black knot, and we are back home in the house that we have never left. As always, thank you all for listening to our podcast. Uh, we sure have fun putting it together. Bentley, what episode is this? This is episode nine? No, it's ten. Episode ten. <laughs> this is a milestone. It's a milestone. Uh, thanks for hanging in there for ten full episodes. We hope you'll keep listening. Uh, as always, we love you. We miss you. God's peace. <laughs>